The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawkbox. These are your headlines. A turboed taper. The Federal Reserve accelerating its monthly bond purchase, uh, purchase slowdown uh, and uh, signaling three rate hikes next year. The real risk now, we believe, I believe, that inflation may be more persistent and that may be putting inflation expectations under pressure and that the risk of, of higher inflation becoming entrenched has increased. Yeah, a bit of a head-scratcher, but Wall Street rallies as the Fed outlines its rate hike timeline with tech stocks leading equities higher. The central bank action continues today with the ECB and the Bank of England twin headline acts on what they're calling Super Thursday. Plus, in Brussels, EU leaders are set to meet with tensions between Russia and Ukraine high on the agenda. Estonia's Prime Minister tells CNBC uh, he can't rest easy. We have intelligence that the sanctions actually hurt. Um, Russia has lost uh, 2% of the, its GDP over the years. Just a small correction, of course, uh, Estonia's Prime Minister is a woman. It's uh, she can't rest easy. Right, let us move on. So, the US Federal Reserve has announced plans to phase out the loosest monetary policy in the central bank's 108-year history. The Fed says it will taper its bond purchasing program by $30 billion per month, putting it on pace to end its pandemic stimulus program by March. It then intends to raise rates three times next year and as many as eight times by 2024. Now, the Fed kept its fund rate unchanged at record lows, but it expects to lift uh, to 2% within two years. It also ramped up its inflation outlook for 2021 to 5.3%, whilst dialing back its unemployment rate expectations for the year to 4.3%. Well, the language is very interesting looking at this. In its December statement, the Fed officially ended the use of the term transitory, kicked into touch in its inflationary outlook, signaling that the economic reopening has had an ongoing impact on prices. But it also outlined plans to scale back its Treasury holdings from $70 billion to $40 billion per month. Well, speaking to reporters on the back of the Fed's latest decision, the chairman, Jerome Powell, admitted inflationary pressures had exceeded expectations and are set to continue well into the new year. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have continued to contribute to elevated levels of inflation. In particular, bottlenecks and supply constraints are limiting how quickly production can respond to higher demand in the near term. These problems have been larger and longer lasting than anticipated, exacerbated by waves of the virus. As a result, overall inflation is running well above our 2% longer run goal and will likely continue to do so well into next year. So the latest dot plot projections from the Fed's FOMC committee uh, shows most members now expect at least three 
rate hikes next year. That is extraordinary because that's up from September's forecast. I mean, what's really changed since September? Really? I mean, kind of, we were talking about the same issues, weren't we? But I mean, it's, it's their inflationary outlook, surely. Because in September, half of members expected just one hike. The Fed also expects its uh, Fed funds rate to lift off uh, record lows to 0.9%. Now, three further rate hikes are then penciled in for 2023, uh, with the Fed funds rate reaching 1.6%, followed by two more in 2024 uh, for a rate of 2.1%. Well, Powell said the Fed would be ready to start raising rates once it's completed its taper policy. Since we're two meetings away from completing the taper, assuming things go as, as expected, um, I think if we wanted to lift off before then, uh, then, then what we'd, you would stop the taper potentially sooner. But it's not something I expect to happen. But uh, I, I, do, I do not think it would be appropriate, and we don't, we don't find ourselves in a situation where we, where we might have to uh, raise rates while, the, while, while, we, while we're still purchasing assets. So we've got to sit back a bit, ladies and gentlemen, and try to work out what the dialogue is on what happened in the markets yesterday. Because I think what we had was a very well-signalled communication from the Federal Reserve this time around. I don't think any of you out there were surprised. Certainly if you were watching this show yesterday morning, you would have pretty much gone with what we thought there, i.e. three rate hikes uh, in 2022. That, that was nailed on, it seemed. Uh, a doubling of the speed uh, of the tightening of that taper program, that was pretty much nailed on. We knew that the rhetoric was going to be uh, more hawkish as well. So where was the surprise factor? Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating to see these markets rally, to see the Nasdaq, which has been the epicentre of the sell-off on concerns about rate hikes going forward, to put on 2.2%. So I think there's a few things going on here. This is just my interpretation. Quite frankly, I think the market wanted to rally us. I think the communications policy was great. So that's the first point. Nobody was surprised by anything that was done on the dot plot, anything that was done on the tapering, anything that was said by Jay Powell in the statement and indeed thereafter in the press conference. So the market was well prepared. There was no tantrum. It was well prepared. Uh, So that was communication. Two, credibility. I think the market thinks, oh, okay, we were worried about inflation. It was a known unknown. I think I saw a quote maybe in the FT somewhere. Now it's a known known, i.e. we know that the Fed has got a handle on this inflation. They were talking about transiting. Now they're putting a bit of credibility into their policy to potentially fight more persistent inflation. So you've got communication, you've got credibility. And I think the third point is just about positioning. And we can move on, if you like, to the, the, the banks and we'll have a look at tech as well in a moment. I think positioning had sold down, certainly in some of the tech names. And this is what the banks did on the back of it. Again, remember this time yesterday, the banks had put on a bit of uh, movement to the upside. Today, yeah. Okay, well, we're not doing too much because we knew this was going to happen. So the rotation happened out of banks, essentially into technology. And some of those names really, really rallied there as well. And look, I'll just get out of the way and you can have a look, actually. A mean 2% increase across the board there as well. Treasuries is, again, absolutely fascinating. Uh, the 10-year, I mean, look at that. Absolutely no sell-off in the bond market that's discernible. Certainly on the 10-year, the yield's still pottering at 145. We were 30 basis points higher than that in March. 
when we weren't talking about eight hikes by the end of 2024 as well. So the bond market's still a very interesting one there as well. Uh, I did read one piece of copy between CNBC correspondents who were saying, well, if it had been more aggressive and they ended the taper, ended the, the bond purchasing straight away, that would have been the band aid being ripped off more aggressively. This was actually, again, well communicated. So positioning, communication and credibility. Let's have a look at the dollar crosses as well and where they are currently trading. Again, no real great movement on any of these. The pound's still trading 132.43. We've got the BOE later. Euro dollar while it's still roundabout. Look at that. The euro dollar is not even one iota changed. We've given you four decimal points to see a change, and there's nothing there as well. Let's get to Jim O'Sullivan, who is Chief U.S. Uh, macro strategist at TD Security. Jim, I mean, I'm scratching my head a little bit about the market. I think the market wanted a rally yesterday, and that's why <clears throat> I've come up with my three scenarios as well. But, I mean, look, very easy question for you straight away. What do you think about what you've seen from the Federal Reserve? Um, hi, Steve. Good, good morning. Um, well, I mean, they've, they've certainly turned a lot more hawkish over the last couple of meetings. And, I mean, certainly the, the, the pivot's been pretty extreme since the last meeting. Of course, they just announced the start of tapering at the, the last meeting with the game plan being that they uh, wind wind down QE in June. But of course, they very quickly changed their mind and they've accelerated suggested tightening in the dot plot as well. So, I mean, they've they've turned a lot more hawkish here is the bottom line. They turned more hawkish, but I'm, I'm interested in why they turned more hawkish. They, they told us for a very, very long time that it was about transitory. There were those of us out there, and Jim, you know, you know how the conversations we've had over the last year or so, where there has been grave concern that this is going to be more persistent. Should the market be worried about the credibility of the Fed now they've done a full 180 turn? Well, I mean, I think forecasting is hard, <laughs> including for the Fed. So I don't think any of us can take the Fed's forecast, their own forecast as, as gospel at, at this point. I and mean, we've seen how much we've been surprised over the past year and even the past three months. So, I mean, time will tell. I mean, I think there are very good arguments why inflation will slow over time. I mean, the Fed obviously dropped the word transitory because they've become increasingly uncomfortable with that word. Not that they, they've really rethought the whole idea behind it and that the, the drivers of inflation initially um, were arguably very transitory. Ultimately, COVID will, will, will fade as, as a force. But if it's persisting longer than expected, just as COVID is persisting longer than expected, then ultimately there can be second round effects that start self-perpetuating. And I think that's what the Fed is worried about. I mean, they're worried about ultimately inflation expectations and wages so that what might initially be transitory truly, I mean, ultimately starts self-perpetuating. So they want to get they want to try to get out in front of that or at least not fall too far behind. Yeah, that, that, that's the point, isn't it? They want to get in front, or are they actually falling behind? Yeah, I don't, I don't think they are. I mean, I think, again, there are very good reasons to think that inflation ultimately will slow. I mean, certainly you look at the, the details and you see things like used vehicle prices that are up about 45% since uh, pre, pre-COVID. And at some point, I mean, they're certainly going to have to slow down, but more than likely, we even get a bit of transitory weakness uh, from things like used vehicle prices. But again, that hasn't happened yet. I mean, there were signs of it in July and August when we got some pretty tame core inflation numbers, but um, and then the numbers just picked up again. So, I mean, as of now, I mean, the numbers still look very, very strong. And uh, fourth quarter numbers in general, inflation, growth, employment, I mean, everything looks very strong right now. Now, part of that, I think, is, is in terms of the growth side, especially, is a fading of the drag from Delta. I mean, you look at GDP, and it slowed from 6% plus in the first half of the year to 2% in the third quarter. Now, that wasn't all because of Delta, but that was part of it. And I think 
likewise, as you're seeing a big pickup in the fourth quarter, again, we're probably getting 6% or even more in fourth quarter growth, that a lot of that is the fading of Delta. So again, you shouldn't extrapolate that. And of course, there probably will be some negative from Omicron as well. Jim, I think you're being incredibly generous saying uh, forecasting is hard. We know it's hard, but that's why they get paid loads of money for doing it. And that's why they get more data points coming into the Federal Reserve than perhaps any financial organisation on this planet as well, perhaps even more than TD Security. So I think your generosity to the Fed there is, is, is very warm. But um, let's move on. What's going on in the jobs market? Because what I see and the data that I look at, including key piece of data such as the jolts is the fact that a lot of Americans don't want to get back into the workforce and the ones who do want to get back into the workforce are being very picky and as such we could well see a turbocharge seeing as that's the phrase of the day a turbocharged Phillips curve at some stage as well or am I wrong about that one as well and the Fed's gonna uh, tell me that uh, on a regular basis well I think I mean that's a big part of the reason why they've turned more hawkish I mean I think I mean, obviously the forward guidance um, from the Fed is that they're not going to raise rates until they've reached maximum employment. And that wording is still in the statement. Now, Powell really, I think, did two things today. One, he made clear that if inflation is enough for a problem, they overshoot enough on inflation, they won't necessarily wait for maximum employment. And second, views of maximum employment are evolving here. And the participation rate has come back much more slowly than expected, even though employment is still down 4 million from the pre-COVID level. I mean, I think he made it clear that his definition of maximum employment is changing and they don't necessarily expect to get back to the pre-COVID state of employment. So they are quite prepared to start raising rates well before they get those 4 million jobs back. I mean, I think that was the message today because, I mean, the state of the labor market has changed. And I mean, he's not giving up hope that the participation rate will ultimately come back a lot more, but he has lost confidence that it's going to come back quickly. All right. Okay, Jim, great interpretation. Tell me a little bit about what the markets were doing. Um, Again, I've given you my views at the top of the show of why I think the markets took it so well. Why do you think more importantly? Um, Well, I mean, the stock market always goes up. I guess that's that's part of the reason it would appear. But I mean, really, um, I mean, the market did, the bond market did sell off a bit immediately at two o'clock. So if you look at where we stand right now at the bond market, um, the yields were lower kind of at 210, 215. So I think the initial reaction was was that it was more hawkish. And then for whatever reason, during the press conference, I think people viewed it as maybe not quite as hawkish. I think people thought that, well, maybe they're not going to crush the economy here. And I mean, certainly historically, the stock market has managed to continue going up at the start of Fed tightening cycle. So the start of a Fed tightening cycle is not necessarily devastating for the equity market. I mean, the, the, the market sees the Fed putting in a 2% or so, 2.8% uh, funds rate at the end of 2024. And if anything, the market is second guessing that. I mean, the markets are pricing in that the Fed will only get to 1.5% or so. So again, the, 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 the markets are not taking the dot plot literally in the end. I mean, they were certainly more hawkish than expected for 2022, Jim. but not necessarily on a, on a long run basis. Jim, I'm not, I'm not buying this, I, 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 some of this. I mean, I, I love this debate and I appreciate you staying up so late or getting up so early in New York to have this with us. But you say, and I know about the sweet spots, I've seen one or two of these, like, unlike others, you and I have seen rate hiking cycles um, going back into the 80s, but, but, but firsthand. But, but my point here uh, is the fact that 
okay, we may be in a sweet spot at the start of the cycle, which is, again, a historical fact. But we haven't gone into many uh, rate hiking cycles uh, with valuations as elevated as they are now compared to where they were. Basically, we're saying that U.S. equities, which on average are a third higher than their long-term average, i.e. trading at over 20 times forward uh, P-E ratio compared with a long-term average somewhere in the mid-teens as well. We're saying despite that that huge overvaluation compared with historic averages as well, that we can actually find a sweet spot at this stage of the cycle. That really worries me, Jim. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in sympathy with what you're saying. I'm, I'm just observing that the market, I mean, has tended to want to go up essentially. And and the markets are not pricing in an aggressive Fed. I mean, they don't believe the Fed's even going to get to 2%. And real yields are, are negative. And the expectation is real yields are going to stay negative. And I mean, I think that's key to justifying valuations in the equity market right now. So rightly or wrongly, that's what the Fed is, that's what the market is pricing in. Now, I do think ultimately the, the, the Fed will go further than the market's pricing in. I mean, from our perspective, the toughest one is the first move. And we, we, we did move up our call for the first move, but our, our feeling's always been that once you get the first move out of the way, that it's easier to have a, a sequence of moves. And, and the Fed is prepared to make that first move without necessarily waiting for the labor market to get back to where it was pre-COVID. So once they start, I mean, I think they're going to be ready to go fairly regularly. And there's even some early talk about quantitative tightening, and they're not ready to do that immediately. But Powell did suggest that they could start balance sheet normalization at an early earlier point of the tightening cycle than they than they did last time. He didn't directly say that, but that was kind of the gist of what he suggested. Jim, who's going to pay for government financing if it's not the Federal Reserve buying up huge amounts of paper? And well, we do expect yields to go up. I mean, certainly our our, our strategists at uh, our bond market strategists at TD do expect bond yields to go higher. I mean, yeah, we've been surprised like a lot of people that they haven't gone up more already. And um, but we do expect over time that bond yields will have to go higher. Yes. Yeah. How much higher, Jim? Um, I mean, up to, I mean, certainly above 2% in the next year. I mean, it's not necessarily tremendously higher. I mean, obviously, we're below 1.5% right now. So, hang on. In the next year, what is the Fed outlook for? Hang on, I'll find it here. The Fed outlook for well, core we, inflation we by the end of next year. What are we talking? We're talking still over 2%, but we're still going to have negative real rates in the world, even up to the end yeah. of next year. Yes. I mean, inflation should be coming down. I mean, certainly if inflation is anywhere close to where it is right now, then the Fed's got a lot of trouble ahead. But yeah, we do think inflation will slow significantly. But again, that it, it looks like there's enough strength in the economy for them to proceed and start tightening. And again, once they start tightening, I mean, unless the economy really is collapsing, they would keep on tightening for a while. I'm aware it's very late in New York. I've got one more for you. The dollar index has had a solid rally over the last 12 months. I mean, it's, it was 89 at one stage. It's now, what, 96.43 as I speak as well. Is the dollar going to be a major beneficiary of this? Are we going to dust off our carry trade playbooks? Um, I mean, the whole world, to some extent, is, is moving toward removing stimulus. I mean, the ECB is certainly going to be the, the slowest one here. And, of course, we'll hear from them. I guess later, 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 later today. But I mean, this environment where the Fed is turning more hawkish, if anything, is, is dollar positive. So yeah, there, if, if the dollar hasn't weakened at this point, it, it's not clear why they would, it would suddenly weaken in the next couple of months. You're a good man, Jim. Um, look, I probably won't speak to you before Christmas. Have a great holiday period, my friend. And thank you for everything you've done for us in 2021. And I look forward to speaking to you next year. You too, Steve. Thank you. Bye.
Jim O'Sullivan, Chief U.S. Macro Strategist at TDC. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Securities. Central bank action, central bank credibility. We're going to be talking a lot about it. I can assure you we have been talking about it. It's going to be a thematic well into the first quarter. And perhaps the central bank with the least credibility on the planet at the moment, I'm arguing, might be the Turkish. Because let's face it, if we thought there was any independence at the Turkish central bank, that just doesn't exist, does it? Let, let, let's be totally brutal about it. And as such, the foreign exchange markets are saying, yeah, let's just work this out. We've got a more hawkish uh, Federal Reserve. We've got a Turkish lira, which is responding to a central bank, which responds to the presidential uh, briefings, which basically says you fight inflation by cutting rates. Yeah, that's the mantra. Uh, and as such, it seems a little bit of a no-brainer for the traders of that pair that you can see on the screen. And as such, we are hitting fresh record lows versus the greenback. I feel very sorry for a, a lot of Turkish citizens out there. They're a very good bunch of people as well. But the fact of the matter is uh, they are under enormous pressure. And despite what you'll hear from some experts, including the likes of Mark Mobius, I think it was, who was talking about, oh, well, they sell a lot of goods. It's, you know, it's going to be good. The fact is they import a hell of a lot more than they export as well. So the fact of the matter is this is causing a lot of pain uh, for the Turkish population at the moment. But Let's just see what happens on policy. And let's see what happens on positioning as well. As we saw last night in the US as well, positioning can actually thwart some of the logic you might think will happen on the back of central bank action. But that's going to be, that's going to be a fascinating one. More fascinating, perhaps even, than the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee, which is set to meet today to decide whether to increase interest rates and tighten conditions. It comes amid a surge in inflation. Let's be honest about it, a surge in Omicron as well. It is absolutely extraordinary the number of infections we are seeing in the United Kingdom at the moment. So the problem comes of what do they do? What does Andrew Bailey, the man you can see there, do? Well, consumer prices, as we, uh, as we revealed 23 hours ago on this show, climbed to a 10-year high last month, uh, including a 7.1% uh, RPI. Very unfashionable to mention RPI, that's why I mention it. Uh, putting policymakers under increased pressure to act. What about the European Central Bank? Well, they're expected to confirm, well, they're moving ahead, but it's the end of the PEP bond buying program by March next year. But what are they going to do about the other asset purchase programs? That's what I want to know. Uh, anyway, uh, they're also going to signal more flexibility, there we go, in the other, which is the APP as opposed to the PEPP. Are you lost in your acronyms? Well, don't worry, we'll give you more coverage throughout the day. But the ECB is set to deliver its latest policy decision today amid its own challenges of soaring inflation. You would have seen a, a solid debate yesterday about wage inflation in Germany between me and SP. But uh, rising COVID rates as well. A lot of questions, Annetta. Glad you're going to hold our hand on this one. What are we looking for? 
We're looking for new staff projections, which will be key to understand how they are thinking behind me in the ECB, because we are getting new staff projections for a three-year time horizon for inflation. And most likely what we are going to see is that inflation in next year will be ahead more than their target of 2%, but it will go down below target in the two later years. And that gives them the rationale of saying we don't see any rate hike pretty soon and we are still upping the APP, the traditional asset purchase program, once the PEP, the pandemic emergency purchase program, will expire by the end of March. And th that, that uh, medium-term outlook gives them, as I was saying again, um, the, the rationale um, for not hiking rates pretty soon. That's at least what Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB, uh, was saying in recent comments uh, that a rate hike in 2022, uh, she's, she doesn't see that uh, to happen. While the money market is still pricing in a rate hike in December of next year, um, most likely the ECB will only hike uh, in 2023 if so. Because if you look interestingly at the growth projections and also um, not only in the Eurozone but also in the United States, we most likely are going to see a deceleration of growth once again in, in two years' time. So meaning that the ECB could actually... Um, move into a scenario where they might want to hike rates, but the economy is going down. So I guess I think in the Eurozone, higher interest rates will be um, somewhat uh, postponed or never happen. Um, also, if you look at the diverse um, economy of the Eurozone, we have been talking a lot about that issue of the optimal currency area. And of course, it's not an optimal currency area. And if we have see a lot of diversion between the likes of Italy, France, Germany and the Northern Hemisphere. So the key question is whether the ECB um, governing council will find a compromise on where to go next and how to communicate with the markets in terms of rate hikes. Because clearly the inflation rate, as in November, is at a record high for the average of the Eurozone. Uh, of course, it will go down. Most likely we have some base effects in, in that year. So I think it's crucial what's going to happen uh, in January and February with the inflation rate. And that is why the ECB most likely will keep a lot of flexibility in their communication today because we haven't had that tidal wave of Omicron yet in the Eurozone, which you are seeing in the UK. But most likely this is going to happen here as well. And nobody knows what that means for the economy. So uncertainty is key once again also for the ECB. I saw a lovely headline, uh, Netta, you would have seen it, I'm sure, in the Washington Post, that Germans shouldn't overreact to 6% inflation. Um, when's Christian? Do we have the new head of the uh, central bank in Germany yet? Uh, Christian Lindner has told us very soon we'll get this as well. I'm just wondering who's going to carry on that very brave fight of Jens Weidmann over the last decade. So what I've been hearing is it uh, will be Joachim Nagel, who was um, with the Bundesbank for many years uh, and now is with the Bank of International Settlement. So he's a seasoned central banker, but pretty much in line with uh, the Bundesbank tradition. So I guess 
um, we are the Bundesbank as such will not move a lot from what they are thinking now. Interestingly, I've done, I don't know if, if, if you've seen that, there was a, a big opinion piece in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, an influential daily here in, in Germany, with many uh, leading economists and also business people signing it, calling for the ECB to reverse their policy stance given that we are seeing that high inflation, given that those supply chain bottlenecks will persist and that inflation will be tracked higher also in 2022, most likely. Um, so I think the debate is really like, yeah, the, the debate is very controversial and the credibility of the ECB, especially in its biggest market, Germany, its biggest constituency is very low. So I, I guess um, for the ECB, it's pretty tough to yeah, convince the general public here in the country, given that we're seeing that high inflation rate. And inflation in Germany is even higher than the average Eurozone. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.